Welcome to the Living Faith Missionary Church Podcast. You're about to listen to a message from guest pastor Josh Jones, presented at Living Faith Missionary Church in Yoder, Indiana. Our prayer is that this message is a blessing to your life. All right. How are you guys doing this morning? Good. It's great to have you here. It's great to be here, I guess, uh, more than that. <laughs> Me and Kelly always really enjoy coming out and uh, spending some time worshiping with you guys. Um, hopefully my computer wakes up. We're going to be in uh, Matthew chapter 21 today. Uh, Matthew 21, verse 28 through 32. Um, this passage, Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees. Um, but you know that they were not Jesus' biggest fans, and uh, sometimes Jesus wasn't their biggest fan as far as uh, the way they carried themselves. And so Matthew 21, uh, verse 28 through 32, it's the parable of the two sons, is what it says. What do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and he said, son, go and work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered. But later he changed his mind and he went. Then the father went to the other son and he said the same thing. And he answered, I will, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did, did what his father wanted? The first, they answered. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. The tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to you to show you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe him. Um, so some background regarding this. Um, in the Bible, we see a lot of uh, times that Jesus talks about vineyards. And whenever he uses the word vineyard, it's always in reference to the kingdom of God. And Every single time that we see a vineyard used, we as believers are the ones who are working in that vineyard within the parable. We are always the fruit producers. We are always the ones who are, who are at work to produce the fruit um, if we are serving God correctly. And so it's the kingdom of God, which is uh, the Lord's wanting to spread out into the world, and we are the ones who are working. Um, Jesus tells about six different parables which follow this format of vineyard and workers in the vineyard. Um, and those two things are universally true in those parables. Um, and so in this story, we are supposed to see ourselves as the sons, either the one that goes out and works or the one that refuses. Um, and the father, he is calling us into service of him. The next thing that we learn from this is the importance of acting immediately when we make a decision. Um, something that really stood out to me about this passage is that the truest danger is not in blatant or defiant sinfulness. Um, there's a much greater risk that comes from subtle overconfidence in your own standing, in your own goodness, in, your, uh, in where you stand with the Lord. And this is very much where the Pharisees were, right? They thought they were perfectly all right with God, but they had this overconfidence. They were self-righteous, is what we were told. 
Um, we often think of the person who is openly resistant towards God as the one who is the most far gone. Um, and so, for example, the prostitutes, as they talked about here, um, and maybe in our context, you know, someone who's a drug dealer or an atheist. These are the people that we think, oh man, they are so far out of the reach of God. Um, the, this, this passage seems to indicate that they are not actually the ones who are the, fo- the most far gone. The end of this passage actually says, you know, it's the tax collectors and the prostitutes who are entering into heaven while you, the Pharisees, are being left at the doorstep. You're not allowed in. Um, and it's kind of, that's, that's, I think that turns some people's view of things on its head when it's like, wait, the, 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 uh, the prostitutes and the drug dealers, and they are closer to the kingdom of heaven than some of the people in our own churches. Um, in the Bible, the person who's in the most danger is the person who straddles the line, who tries to keep a foot in both camps. Um, the person who doesn't feel like they need a doctor, and so they never go to the great physician. Jesus says it's the sick who need a doctor, and The problem is, if you don't feel like you're sick, then you never come to him to be healed. Today, I don't feel sick in the slightest. So I'm not going to make a doctor's appointment this afternoon and go see. But if I had something seriously wrong with me that was undetectable to me, that would be really bad. It would actually be better for me to feel awful because then at least I know and I go to him. And the reality is some of these people that we see as too far gone they recognize spiritually there's something broken in them. And Jesus actually kind of seems to indicate that puts them closer than some of the people who sit in our churches. Um, The wholehearted are much more fit for the kingdom of God, even those who start out wholeheartedly against Jesus, wholeheartedly resistant to the gospel. Um, Because the ones who try to keep a foot in both camps never commit to either one, and they end up being expelled from the kingdom of heaven. Jesus, when he was talking to a church, he said it this way. He said, I wish that you were hot or cold, but as it is, you're lukewarm, and I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. And that was maybe a little weird way to say that, um, admittedly, but uh, if you've ever drank like room temperature Sprite, you know what it is to taste something lukewarm and go, I don't know if I want to keep on with this. Um, There are a lot of people who make big claims regarding faith. Um, They might be self-righteous like these Pharisees were. You know, they claim to be followers of Christ, but they're living in disobedience. And they call themselves Christians, but they never live like it. Um, maybe they made a decision years back and they don't have any desire to renounce their faith, so they just kind of coast along, still calling themselves Christians, even though nothing is changing in their life. If you look back at your spiritual walk over the last month or two, have you changed? Have you grown in the last couple months in your walk with Jesus? Have you developed any? Is there a maturing that's happening within you? Um, These people, they might not be hypocrites or might not feel like hypocrites because when they said they would go, they truly did mean it in that moment. When they made that commitment, you know, the son said, I'll go, Father, and he meant it. 
in that moment, but over time, religion has kind of dimmed in their lives until it's no longer anything that's fruit-producing. It's just this kind of vague hope that when we die, maybe our souls will be saved. It's not anything that's transforming them any longer. What we learn in this passage is that the danger of a wavering promise is greater than the danger of an outright refusal. That's what we learn from the sons. The one who outright refused ended up in right graces with his father. The one who had this wavering promise, that is the greater danger between the two. So we learn from the second son that there's a great danger in not acting immediately when we say, yes, we'll go, Father. How often has a sermon really moved you or challenged you and you thought, yeah, I need to make some changes in my life. And then (laughs) you get home within an hour or so, you know, it's completely left your head. It fades from your thought. You know, by Tuesday, that challenge, maybe you think of it every once in a while, but it's becoming less strong. By Thursday, you've forgotten about it entirely. And you're back into those just daily routines, and nothing has changed. You just have this memory now of when you made that, oh, yeah, I'm going to do things different. Um, I think most of us have had this happen. I have, certainly, where I said to the Lord, I'm going to do this thing, and then it kind of fades Uh, I intended I was going to change something, and then it just kind of floated away from me, and I never got around to it. Um, I think there are a lot of people who go through this life making feeble commitments for the Lord. They come to church, you know, they feel motivated to change, they make a resolution to live differently, but then they walk out of those doors and their old self kicks in. Their character, it never changes, and they slip back into these everyday routines and habits. They come to church, and they're lifted up. They make that decision, I'm going to do the Lord's will this time. I actually mean it. But then they leave, and they sink back down throughout the week. And they fall into this kind of routine, this rut, where they come to church, and they're lifted up, and then they sink back down. Lift up, they sink back down. They lift it up, they sink back down. And they end up just kind of settling into this medium into this gray area, a foot in both camps, where they make commitments for God, but they never follow through with any of them. And in their emotions, they genuinely want to serve God. That's that's what their heart is telling them. But they just kind of hope that that's enough to want to do the right thing. This is the kind of person who says, God knows my heart, and they think that's enough, even though they never actually make it out to the vineyard. They've lost the power to turn a temporary emotion into a permanent change. I would argue as Christians, this is actually really important, that when the Spirit impresses something on your heart, um, when he says something to you firmly, that emotion that's tied to that truth, I can tell you it's going to fade away. And as Christians, we need to learn how to take that In this moment, I feel this thing. I know that this is truth. And then we need to turn that into a permanent change. And when the emotion fades away, we have to still be willing to put one step in front of the other and make that change we've committed to. This person no longer discerns between feeling and acting on that feeling. They feel things every Sunday, 
but they never actually change. This person convinces himself, I've got faith, and that's enough. It's not about what I do, it's about faith, right? But James tells us that faith without deeds is dead. Faith without action is dead. So their character never changes, and they walk down that broad road and through the wide gate that leads to destruction. Satan does not care how many times you make promises to God that you're going to change. Satan would love for you to make that promise every single Sunday as long as he can keep you from drawing near to Christ today. If he can keep you away from Christ, he doesn't mind how many promises you make. You can promise as many times as you want, but if you still haven't stepped foot into the vineyard, if you're still not repenting and drawing near to Jesus during your week, then Satan's won. He's done his job. It's empty words. Um, Sin is like a cancer. Uh, If I was diagnosed with cancer today, And the doctor said, Josh, this is treatable, but we need to start chemo right now. Like, you need to start right away. But I said to that doctor, no, I think I'm going to wait for a bit. I got some things I want to get done. I'm going to go traveling, maybe see some of the world. But in a year or two, I'll come back to you, and you better believe we're going to start treatment then. (laughs) If I say to that doctor, we're going to hold off for a couple of years, during that time while I'm away... The cancer grows. And because I didn't deal with it immediately, it spreads in my body, it weakens me, and the longer that I put off that treatment, the more likely it is that I'm going to die with it. Um, (laughs) A young plant, anyone who has done gardening knows this, a young plant is way easier to pluck out of the soil than one that has been growing for a long time. You know, when that tree gets its roots down there, it's no longer an easy thing to deal with. Um, it becomes nearly impossible to uproot. Sin in our lives needs to be taken care of immediately. It needs to be brought to the cross. We need to say, Jesus, help me change. You know, Holy Spirit, help change this in me. We need to deal with that sin immediately. True repentance is turning from, right? It's that 180. And when we make a decision for the Lord, we need to start acting on it. I think that far too often we make these commitments for God, but we don't ever actually, we put off that actual action. You know, maybe it's the person who says, I know I need to stop drinking. I'll just throw this out as kind of an example. I know I need to stop drinking, but my cousin's birthday party is this weekend, and I'm not going to drink very much, but he's going to think it's weird if I don't drink anything while I'm there. So I'm going to go to that, you know, I'm going to have a couple beers, but then after that, just I'm, I'm going to get serious about this thing. How many of you know that when an alcoholic says, okay, just one more drink, that very often that is not the case. They don't follow through on that, right? Or maybe it's, a, it's for, for you or for me, maybe it's I need to set aside time to read my Bible and to pray, to actually develop this relationship with Christ that I'm always claiming I have. But my schedule this month is so crazy, it's hectic, I'm being so busy, there's no way I can find time in my day right now. But in a month or so, my schedule I think is going to clear up a bit, and I'm going to get serious about this thing, Jesus. I'm going to start putting the time in, I'm going to start spending time in your presence. We put it off into the future, right? 
We've all done this at some point. And the problem is we just put it off, we put it off, we put it off, and we say, God, I'm serious about this relationship, or at least I will get serious about it, but right now is not the best time. And we never end up making it out to the vineyard, and we find ourselves as the second son, like the Pharisees were, the second son, who says, God, I'll do it, but never makes it out to the vineyard. Jesus said this, and it's honestly a little bit scary to me. In Matthew chapter 7, he said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. In other words, there's a lot of us in here who say, Yeah, Jesus is Lord. He's Lord of my life. But Jesus says, You know, not everyone who says that I'm Lord is going to go to heaven. It's only the ones who do the will of my Father who is in heaven. The Pharisees made these outward claims to be followers of God. They came to church every single Sunday. They came dressed in their best. They said all the right things. But they had strayed from God in their private time. They kept up the facade for everyone else. But there was nothing genuine behind it. Jesus said to them, the prostitutes are getting into heaven ahead of you. You're not going to make it. Jesus used a word picture when he talked about the Pharisees. He said they're a cup that's clean on the outside, but inwardly they're full of filth, of greed, of self-indulgence, hypocrisy, corruption. There's this... this analogy or word picture or whatever, this, uh, this thing that I used to do with uh, exercise, I guess, we used to do with our youth group kids when I was a youth pastor. I'm not going to do it for you guys, and you'll understand why in a second. But um, I would take two cups, and in one of them I would pour Dr. Pepper or like Coke or some kind of brown drink. And the other cup, I had gone outside and I had filled the first, like this much of it, with dirt And then I would pour in Dr. Pepper or Coke or whatever, and I would stir it around. And I would warn them ahead of time, one of these is clean. The other one is full of filth. It's got dirt in there. Um, It's a a drink of Dr. Pepper plus dirt. And I would say to them, I need a couple volunteers who will come up. And so we'd get like two or three kids, and they would come up. And I would mix them up behind my back, and I'd bring them out, and I would say, okay, I want you to either drink from the one on, uh, on my left or on my right, or you can drink none of them uh, if you don't want to take that chance. And inevitably, you know, every teenage kid is going to drink from one of them. Like, they want to be cool in front of their friends. And so it was always, you know, very entertaining because they would drink it and either they would be, like, excited because they got the one that was nothing, uh, nothing gross in it, or they would drink from the one that had the dirt in it and we had a... We had a um, trash can up there and they'd be spitting it out like acting like they're gagging like like in like hamming it up and everyone would be laughing but the reason I would do this analogy um, is that the thing that makes that game tough is outwardly you can see no difference between the cups right the one that has the filth in it and the one that is actually clean and refreshing are they look exactly the same from the outside And this was the analogy Jesus uses for the Pharisees. He said, the outside of the dish is clean, but I know what's inside of that. The problem is that when the world comes to us as Christians, they drink from one of these two cups. 
The first one is clean. And it's actually, it satisfies a thirst that they have within them. They have this hunger for God, this hunger to know their creator. They have this thirst for what he offers them. That's why when Jesus came as a clean cup with the living water within him, he drew these massive crowds, right? Like thousands of people because he was pure through and through. And when they came and they drank from that cup, they themselves were made pure by spending that time with their God. The Pharisees, though, were the other cup. When people got close to them and they drank from that cup, they found that it was filled with filth and greed and hypocrisy and pride and all of these things. They had all of these rules, but they didn't love God. They didn't love their neighbor. And people were repulsed by this. It made them, it drove people away from God. Jesus said to those Pharisees, you are shutting the kingdom of heaven in men's faces. Because outwardly you look great and they drink from the cup thinking it's going to be what they need and they spit it out. It's repulsive to them. You guys have probably all known Christian, or people, no, sorry, not Christians. You guys have all probably known people who have been repulsed by the church. Right? And more often than not, it's because they, they, they grabbed one of the cups and it was filled with filth. You know, and they end up saying, I know Christians, they're all hypocrites. Well, that's not true. But the, their first drink of Christianity was someone who was a hypocrite or who judged them severely for their sin. You know, or they were abused as a kid in a church or whatever it is. And man, they drank from that cup and it was not what they were expecting whatsoever. And so this is why it is very important that we don't just put on the facade, but that we get purified by spending that time with Jesus. Because then when people come and they drink from that cup, it's refreshing. It's what they've been thirsting for. It's what they need out of a church. So how do we change? You remember at the beginning of the passage, I said that uh, Jesus kept telling these parables, six of them, where uh, we are supposed to be fruit producers in the vineyard. Um, there's really good news. Jesus gave us a formula that we can follow and guarantee that we produce fruit in the kingdom. If you've been struggling to change, if you've been struggling to produce fruit, this is the formula he gives. He tells us in John 15, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me, and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So what that means is if we stay close to Jesus, if we spend time alone with him, when you get out of this place, this should, your, your relationship with Christ should not just be a Sunday thing. But if you spend time in his word, if you spend time in his presence, praying to him, listening for his voice, if you get close to him, the natural outpouring of that time spent is that you will be unified with him, and then he says you will produce much fruit. In another place, he says you will produce a crop 30, 60, or 100-fold, meaning others will start to come to Christ. They will taste what is pure within you, and they will say there's something there. There's something to that. And they'll keep coming back, and you'll produce this crop 30, 60, or 100-fold. Um, 
every time, virtually every time that I've gone astray in my ministry, it's because I started to focus on the fruit instead of the vine. Jesus says, I am the vine, remain in me. In other words, just cling to Jesus. And then he says, and then the fruit will all come. That's the natural outpouring of time spent with me. It's a promise of scripture. If you remain in the vine, the fruit comes. It's cause and effect. Jesus said, clean the inside of the cup, and then the outside will be clean as well. Right? And what he was saying is, when we spend this time with our God, that is what purifies us. That is what cleans us. If, if we clean the inside of the cup, then the people are going to want to drink from it. I go astray if I, if I have been spending my time with Jesus there in the vine, but I turn around and I start to look at the fruit. And I start to think of my, to myself, I have to start tending to that fruit. It's starting to come like I was hoping for. And so I let go of the vine and I go to tend the fruit. And before I know it, it's starting to turn brown. The leaves are dying and I'm freaking out and I'm trying everything in my power. I'm trying harder and harder to tend to the fruit, trying to make sure it's healthy. But the problem is I forgot the promise. The promise was if you remain in me and I in you, then you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And so in my ministry, the times I've gone astray is when I've, I've let go of that time with Jesus because I thought there's so much work to be done for him. There's so many people I need to start to tend to. And I start to focus on that and the fruit is dying on the vine. And I'm going, what is going on here? It's because I've let go of the one to try to take hold of the other. So this is my challenge to us. We need to spend that personal time with our Creator. We need to begin working in the vineyard. Even the parts that we hesitate to dive into, he's going to make them rich and rewarding for us as we learn to love that time spent with our God. Um, when a person almost drowns, you pull them out of the water, and if they're not breathing, you start with artificial respiration. Okay? And so you start pumping on that chest. And what you're doing is their lungs are not working. And so you're doing something artificial in the hopes that they cough up that water and then the actual real thing, the natural thing, will kick back in. And sometimes these people can be saved because they you start with artificial respiration. They need that help. But then they, they spit it up and their lungs start functioning as they should. Um, you start with what's unnatural and then the natural kicks in. And I think that a lot of times this is how it is in the kingdom of God. Is that things feel unnatural to us. You know, we haven't necessarily worked out that faith muscle yet. And so when we go spend time with the Lord, it feels foreign to us. It feels unnatural. It feels like, am I ever going to hear anything from you? And it's because that muscle is still weak. That faith muscle is weak within us. Um we kind of dread going out into the vineyard. Even though we said we would do it, we, we dread that time. Um, have you ever been in a place where you're like, yeah, I know I need to read my Bible, and then you go, but maybe after this TV show. <laughs> and then you end up watching another episode, and, and you just keep putting it off because you kind of just dread. 
and you don't really even know what you're dreading, but you don't do it. But if we'll suck it up and we do the things that we know we should do, that's like the artificial respiration which comes before what is natural kicks in. How many of you guys who have done that where you're putting off reading your Bible, you actually started reading it then and you just got sucked into like the story or whatever and you go, why was I avoiding this? <laughs> I, I, I'm sure some of you have been there. I've been there where you're like, what was I avoiding this for? Why did it take me so long to get here? Like, because when I actually opened it up, I was, I'm, I'm intrigued, I'm learning things, I'm, I'm growing, I'm, I, things are applying to my life. A lot of times that natural it kicks in, but it starts with the what feels artificial to us. So the question I have for you guys is this. What will you do when you walk out of here today? The passerby who sees both sons would not have the slightest difficulty in figuring out which one pleased the father. Right? If he didn't hear the conversation but he was passing by and he just saw the two of them. And he sees the one son, you know, he's sweating, he's, he's, he's uh, you know, doing stuff with the vines, he's working hard in that vineyard, and they see him, and then they walk a little further down the road and they see the other son sitting in a chair, drinking his lemonade, reading his book. He knows which one's pleasing the father, right? It's the one who's working in the vineyard, not the one who with empty words said, yeah, I'll get there eventually. So I would say to you guys, give yourself no credit for anything that is not actually accomplished. Just having the desire to do something is not enough. Having the intention to go do something is not enough. If Jesus is asking you today, you know, to turn from that sin or to read your Bible more, or to spend time listening and being silent before him sometimes, or whatever it is, go do that. This is a world of constant change. And so the young man who refuses the Lord can change into a noble man of God who is hard at work in the kingdom. And the man who confidently claims to serve God can change into a lazy, distant son. I'm sure you've seen both in your life. Someone that you thought, they walked away from the Lord? I never would have expected that. And someone else that came to Christ and you said, I never would have pegged them for one who would come around to knowing Jesus. This is a a world in which change is constant. And so we can either change for the better or we can change for the worse. You have to choose your trajectory today. You have to take that first step when you walk out those doors. And so I would challenge you guys, begin to set about the work of the kingdom. Love your neighbor. Set aside time for prayer. Turn from that sin that you know you keep going back to. Maybe that's the filth that's in your cup. Pray for strength to resist it. Pray for the Holy Spirit to guide you consciously and unconsciously. Wake up early and read your Bible. Or stay up late and read your Bible. That's what I do. I was up till 5 a.m. last night. Uh, Look for chances to encourage the people around you. Offer to pray for someone. Witness to someone at work. You know, set about the work of the kingdom. Whatever that is to produce fruit, whatever is going to draw you nearer to your Lord, do that. Or whatever is going to bring others closer to him, look for those opportunities and don't delay. 
Act on it as soon as you walk out of the doors today. In a second, we're going to take communion, and then we'll be dismissed. But I would really challenge you to become that first son who acts in obedience to the Father. Let's take 60 seconds, and let's just be silent. And I just want you to ask Jesus, say, Jesus, how can I remain in you and bear fruit this week? Ask him if there's something specific he wants from you, whether it would be finding forgiveness, whether or asking someone for forgiveness, whether it would be uh, spending time alone with him, to say, what is it to remain in you and bear fruit this week? And listen for what he tells you. Thank you for joining us today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. If you're watching on YouTube, please like this video as it will help in spreading this message into the global online community. Please consider subscribing to our page so that you will receive notices when we post new messages. If you're watching this on Rumble, please hit the Rumble button for this video so that the gospel can be spread into the What Rumble community. Also, consider subscribing to our Rumble channel. You can also listen to our podcast on Amazon Music and Apple Podcasts. We hope you have a blessed day.